Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now, you're listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood. Sale winds, he fires. Swing and a miss, right play, it's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Hello and welcome to the Red Sea Podcast, episode number 293. This is your host, Bob Osgood, this week, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher, finally back with us after his long trek down under uh keaton how you going mate <laughs> yeah i'm back good to be back uh trip in australia was really fun and it was sick that part wasn't so fun but uh yeah work trip in australia had a fun little weekend there got to go see uh the u.s women's national team play sweden even though they lost wow. uh game was amazing though it was incredible atmosphere was amazing it was so much fun it was awesome just to be there and then uh, Great. something that I was not prepared for, uh, for Australia, was um, there's wild cockatoos everywhere. Just, just wasn't uh, expecting that, which I suppose, like, I've, I've seen cockatoos, seen people have them as pets, uh, just wasn't expecting them to be, like, everywhere, like, they're like pigeons over there. The which, birds over there are aggressive, they're in your face. Um, yeah. They're everywhere, and it's not like you get any close when you get close to them that they move either. And just generally, <laughs> the wildlife and my the time that I spent there was, uh, you know, just not what you're used to in the Northeast. That's for sure. It never really occurred to me though that like before people had cockatoos as pets, they were wild somewhere, right? And so it was just really funny to just to see them out and about. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, going to a World Cup game, that's not everyone gets a chance to do that. So that's awesome. 
Uh, it's good to have you back. We held down the fort without you, but, you know, we'll, we, we don't have Jake this week, but he'll be back next week. We'll have the full group here at some point once again. Um, in the meantime, the Red Sox have continued to be the most mediocre team in baseball, even if they're seven games over 500. Sure seems that way. Frustrating us in so many phases of the game. Uh, while also mixing in just enough wins and exciting play to keep us interested for another week. Uh, they're sitting at 69 and 62 entering play on nice. Monday, which, while that's nice, uh, it's not nice that they're four and a half games out of a wild card spot, uh, with Houston being the closest wild card team and the Blue Jays uh, in between. One more team that they'll have to pass uh, just to get to the five, to four and a half games. But. Since our last episode a week ago on Monday, uh, the Sox split four games in Houston, losing the first two, um, kicking the ball all over the ballpark, and then in the last two games taking advantage of some favorable pitching matchups, uh, finishing things off with a 17-1 to win on Thursday. Obviously, there was a huge series over the weekend as well, but we'll start with the Houston series. Uh, Keaton, we'll go to you. What have your thoughts been, whether... That be about the Houston series or just the last month in general since we've last talked to you. Start it up. Yeah. Um, well, I'll just uh, I'll say it was pretty painful being on a 15-hour flight during the trade deadline um, with like real sh- spotty, shitty internet. So yeah. just kind of going back the last month. Um, yeah, that's going Basically, back our, our group chat with uh, <clears throat> you guys constantly just talking about what was happening was the only uh, update that I was getting on the day, and it was uh, really stressful, which, of course, uh, nothing really happened, so there was nothing to really stress about, but um, I will say, obviously, the, the Houston series started out poorly, losing the first two, but I thought it was strong and like a good sign for the Red Sox heading into the series against the Dodgers to come back and earn a split in that four game series, especially being on the road against an extremely tough team. I thought to get a split was actually kind of a success and to punctuate it with just an absolutely massive blowout win. I thought things seemed like they were, you know, kind of trending in the right direction, looking good. Um, One thing that I had noticed recently, uh, trending though, uh, we were talking about this before we started recording though, is that it seems as if the Red Sox starting pitching and their lack of depth is now starting to kind of catch up to them a little bit, maybe bite them in the butt. Um, They've had a string of starts where guys are either not going, their starters are not going deep into the game at all, or... Uh, they are able to get to five or six, and they're getting wrecked as they do it. Um, and this is a really poor, poor timing for that to occur. Is they're they're slowly now losing ground. Uh, I feel like uh, every week they're either they're losing like another half game here. As uh, I mean, the Mariners are on just an absolute tear right now, so that that's not helping. And then that's pushed Houston and Texas, uh, who are two teams that are also. Uh, very, very strong now into the wild card race, and those are not teams that you want to be looking up at because they are better than you. Um, so that just kind of makes makes things even more difficult. 
Um, and then to kind of, it feels like the, that lack of depth. I know that they were waiting for guys to come back and get healthy and we just got Chris Sale back, but they're still basically building him up. Um, Chris Sale going tonight. Uh, and they just got Tanner Houck back who, um, is still struggling to, to get deeper into games. Um, they're still relying heavily on the bullpen to get through nine innings of a baseball game. And it's everybody else who they've been relying on. It's kind of catching up to them and becoming taxing on all the starters. Now Um, is a really poor timing for that. Yeah. And I think part of it a week and a half ago was Cora forcing the issue that, you know, as Sale and Crawford had some games where they got into jams in the fifth and he went right to the bullpen because they felt like must-win games. But as you play 17, 18 days in a row, whatever the stretch is, you can't do that the whole time. And then it started happening because the pitchers were actually getting lit up early in games and needing to be pulled in the fourth and fifth inning. And you mentioned that with Sale, and that's happening again tonight where he goes out and gets pulled in the fifth inning. And um, as we're seeing the score of what happened with Kyle Baraclaw after that, which just happened before we started recording, um, you know, that's where it's tough because the bullpen that you need to go to in the fifth inning, now you need to get four or five innings worth of outs, and you've got, um, you know, an already starting to break down group a little bit of relievers. You had Chris uh, Murphy, who they needed to bring up a couple of times over the last two weeks. He comes up, he throws a game where he just kind of wears it, you know, goes four or five innings and then gets sent down the next day that they've needed to work things like that in. Um, And then if you're, you know, if you're not ahead, then you're not using those high leverage relievers. And I think they probably needed to do that in one or two games and have a little more urgency over the last couple of days. We'll get into that later. Um, but to your point, I mean, we had a couple of mailbag questions that we wanted to bring in early on. Um, you know, TJ McPhee asked us, and this was from last week, he said, why are the Red Sox being so careful with Brian Bayo's innings? Uh, he's hardly on pace to pass his total from last season. Are they still concerned about his elbow problems from spring training? Um, and then we had another great question from Mark Daly, who said, do you consider going with a six-man rotation for the remainder of the year? to get the best version of Paxton, who's better on five days rest, to keep Bayo's innings down, and to get the most from Sale. So I thought that there was kind of an interesting juxtaposition between those two questions. Um, start with you, Keaton. I don't know what you, you think about that, both with Bayo, uh, as well as the six-man rotation, and kind of how that fits into what you're talking about with the, uh, the, the rotation issues. Yeah, um... They, I mean, they have Sale, who they're still building up. They have Hauk, who's been dealing with injuries. They have Bayo, who started the season dealing with injuries, and is still, um, this would have been his first full season, so um, would have been his highest innings total yet. Uh, they have Paxton, who um, is basically pitching his first full season in three three years. <laughs> So, um, yeah. you want to be careful with that innings workload. They have a ton of fragile guys, and we're getting to the point in the season where those guys tend to break. So, I think that makes sense. 
uh, to try and basically toe that line. Um, and I think that plays into, uh, for the majority of the season, I mean, we were just coming off a stretch of the season where, was it two months, they had three starters? Yeah. Um, and they, they... Yep, that happened. Yeah. Yeah, they relied on those guys heavily. Um, so to try and give those guys a break as they're building up other guys on the fly, um, they kind of need those extra dates off. So I think it makes sense. I think it's kind of, it's probably a little bit of both. It's, they're still building guys up on the fly and they have a ton of fragile guys that they, you don't want to be too overly aggressive with. So going with a six man rotation will allow you to hopefully ease that burden kind of, um, help build those guys up give these guys extra days now that were very late in the season. And um, I mean, Paxton's really been the only one that's been there the entire time. Um, but so you don't blow him out as he heads towards the, the stretch run here. Um, I don't hate it. Um, I think it's a, a pretty solid plan. I think there's a lot of, a lot of pros there. I just feel like it tends to, I know you're going to talk about, more in depth here about the bullpen usage, but it does kind of add more reliance on that as you're, you're taking a guy that could potentially eat a bunch of innings out of the bullpen um, out of that role. But I think right now it's probably more needed in the rotation and it makes more sense for the long term to save those guys. So I think you should be able to piece together a bullpen that can get through nine innings they just can't right now. So I'll, I'll let you I take know. it from here. <laughs> yeah, well, so I I think that there's a couple of things. You know, when, when you have a, a five-man rotation where there's a clear number one and you re, you know, and, and it's a horse that can go 200 innings, you don't want to have a six-man rotation that, that m- makes that ace pitcher throw any less frequently than he would have. I don't think that's the case here. You just outlined all of it with kind of the fragility of some of these pitchers and some of the youth that they have there's not that horse that you need to go to every fifth day um they kind of have the opposite and to mark's point about these guys throwing when they're on five days rest you look you look at paxton's numbers when he was on four days rest this year um in those four starts that he's done that his era is 9.39 he's given up 16 earned runs in 15 innings and walked 11 guys, had a whip of two when he throws on four days rest. When he throws on five, he's 3-1 and one with a 1.95 ERA. And when he throws on six days rest, he's 4-1 and one with a 3.83 ERA. Um, Bayo, another example, when he throws on four days rest, he's had four of those starts this year. He's 2-2 two two with a 5.75. When he throws on five days rest, he's 5-3. That's 12 starts with a 2.75 ERA. So I think that's the case for both of them. Um... With Bay, I mean, for TJ's question with Bayo, yeah, he threw 153 innings combined a year ago between the minors and the majors. Uh, this year, he has just one minor league start of six innings, and the majors 126. So he's at 132. He is going to pass what he um, got to last year, 153. You think he'll probably be around like the 160 to 165 range? I think it's important to remember that he's 24 years old and that they want him to be healthy for the next five, six years and possibly beyond, you know, if they end up working out some sort of arbitration contract to get an extra year or two on the other side, he could be a candidate for that. Um, I I just, I think that they have been cautious with him, but they haven't been, um, 
I think they've been aggressive enough to throw him on every start. They haven't skipped his starts, but they haven't been reckless with him either. I mean, he's actually gone seven full innings six times this year. You know, so so that when he's going well, they let him throw. They let him throw 100, 105 pitches. Um, but I think that they try to give him that extra day of rest. So they'll have an off day this week. And then they'll play six days in a row after that. And I do think that that would be a time for them to throw six different starters um, between this Friday and next Wednesday when they play Kansas City for three and Tampa for three. You know, Paxton's going to throw on Friday. Maybe instead of having him throw that game on four days rest on the back end of that, they use Pavetta for one of those games and, and go with six. And yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the bullpen in a little bit more towards the Dodgers series, but... I think it's it's a, a fair ask to do that just because of, you know, how this team has looked when they're, some of these pitchers have looked when they're on five days rest, look a lot better. Yeah. Especially, they need to find ways to, I mean, essentially, like, nickel and time their ways to wins. They don't, they don't have a great schedule here to close it out, as we've seen with no. Houston, Dodgers, Houston. They've still got Tampa, Toronto, the Yankees left so yeah it's not going to be an easy trek to close it out here some of the other things that happened in that houston series um you know we, we talked about paxton i guess for a positive note adam duvall hitting home runs in the first three games of the series um before adding two more over the weekend and then adding another one on monday night so he earned player of the week honors going 14 for 29 with five homers and 12 RBIs and seven runs. Uh, hit the game-winning home run on Thursday night after fouling a ball off his leg, you know, taking a walk for a couple minutes, and then hitting a bomb pitch or two later, which was something else in extra innings. Uh, Kenley Jansen left that game with hamstring pain, uh, and then on Thursday they had a season-high 17 runs and 24 hits, uh, mostly off of J.P. France, who had a rough day, um, which we outlined on last week's pod was kind of the guy that they definitely had to get to in that series um, and had some late action off of the position player, the catcher. Um, and, you know, as we mentioned, Bayo, he had seven strong innings in that game um, and gave them some length where they needed to rest the bullpen a little bit going into that weekend. But the guy I wanted to highlight there is Chris Martin. And, um, you know, the stretch that Chris Martin has been on since early June is pretty remarkable. You know, he's thrown 25 and two-thirds innings since June 9th, and he's only given up one run. And it's really just been, um, you know, outside of one run against the Giants, it's just been a whole lot of scoreless appearances that are usually pretty pain-free. Sometimes he's coming in with runners on base. Sometimes he isn't. Uh, came in in a huge game against Houston and got a shutout inning, and then came in against the Dodgers and faced one batter and got a strikeout on Saturday. Um, and actually, I tweeted something out the other day that was just in his last 28 appearances, how he has that one run allowed. But over the last year plus, right, since last year's trade deadline, when Martin was traded to the Dodgers for all pitchers with a minimum of 60 innings, he has the best ERA in all of baseball uh, for relievers, you know, 1.33 ERA. And the next best is Gratterall with the Dodgers at 1.71. That's a huge gap between that. So... Um, I wondered if Jansen had gone on the IL or was going to be out for any time. It seemed pretty clear 
that Martin would be the closer, um, just based on how great he's been for three months. Um, you know, I don't know whether they would use him on back-to-back -back days. They've only done that five times all year. I thought Pavetta could be a possibility if uh, Martin, you know, needed to go back-to-back -back or through too many days in a row. But it turns out that Jansen's probably going to be okay. Said he was available on Sunday. Uh, looks like he's going to avoid the IL. Um, but, no, I just think we haven't talked about Chris Martin this year a whole lot. And for over a year now, he's been... ERA-wise, the best relief pitcher in baseball. So, anything else yeah. to add from that series, Keaton? No, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Um, I mean, the Martin note is a, is a solid one. It's just, it's really helpful when you have a guy like that in the bullpen that just gets guys out and doesn't walk anybody. It's a super helpful weapon. Right. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, going into the Dodgers series, who he had pitched for a year ago um you know over the weekend they came to Fenway everyone kind of knows a lot of the storylines there um that the NL West leading Dodgers who now have 80 wins on the season and returning a few ex-Red Sox players and most notably Mookie Betts who terrorized his former team all weekend going seven for 15 with a home run on Sunday and he had a walk as well so he was on base half the times he got to the plate during the three-game series which was no surprise to any of us. And then uh, Freddie Freeman as well went 7 for 13 with two walks. He was on base at a 600 clip, getting on 9 out of 15 times. Um, just an impossible duo to get out. I mean, you can't walk both of them. And every game, they were just they were on base early and often getting big hits early and late. And it was just uh, that, that team, when they are, are rolling, is something else and just the stretch that Betts has been on for a month or so. Um, yeah. You know, Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, it's just Mookie Betts is so good at baseball. Yeah, I mean, it seemed impossible that anybody could rival Ronald Acuna for the MVP this year. I mean, this is a guy that easily could get 35 homers and 70 steals. And you say, you know, what what could rival that? No one is even close. And then this guy's hitting pretty much like 500 for the last month. And the number of games that he gets up to lead off in the top or the bottom of the first with a home run. He's already matched his career high in homers this year. He has 35 or 36, and we're not out of August yet. So it's just crazy, and <laughs> it was tough to watch. It wasn't surprising. We don't have to rehash that whole story again. There's been plenty <laughs> of shows all week that are doing that, and that'll just get us all... Yeah fired up and add 30 minutes to the show but um <clears throat> you know on friday nick pavetta struggled a little bit uh coming in for cutter crawford giving up four runs i believe just gave up a lot of hits um and then that game kind of had some poor base running late with connor wong getting caught coming around second base on a relay throw and just another story you know of bad defense and bad base running that we've seen this whole past week that could easily be the reason that they are four and a half games back and not tied for the last wild card spot for both of those reasons um on saturday we saw adam duvall hit that big three-run homer to go ahead uh, max muncie called out on the questionable pitch when chris martin the one batter that he faced and then john schreiber coming in the ninth and getting mookie to fly out with the bases loaded and two outs and man that was something that was some some high drama on saturday 
But then uh, Betts put the game out of reach on Sunday um, before some late home runs from Justin Turner, who continues to just be on fire. Two more homers this past week. Um, Adam Duvall homered in that game as well. Um, so your thoughts from the Dodgers series, and before we talk about the bullpen a little bit, what, what were your takeaways? And it was really entertaining series for better or worse. Yeah, it was. Um, it was really nice to see Mookie kind of have his return to Fenway. Um, it seems like it took a really long time for him to come back, but, um, that was nice. Um, there is, as you, you pointed out, like pretty much every outlet everywhere, um, was milking that story. Um, there was still posting stuff today. Um, I think it was. Bradford posted a clip from David Ortiz about talking about how he thought um, Mookie should have been here for a while. So there's, everybody was milking that entertainment because they knew that was going to get clicks and views. And yep. it sure did. But we, we don't have to go too much. <laughs> I feel like that's, as you pointed out, it's overdone. We don't need to add another half hour to this podcast. But yeah. Um, yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. It was an entertaining series. Um, but that I think um, again we had Paxton go four. We had Hout go four innings. Uh, Carter Crawford uh, really kind of had the best start. Went five. Um, wasn't really able to go much deeper than that. Um, and then it was just turned over to bullpen, um, which had its struggles. And then obviously was without uh, Jensen until Sunday, and then wasn't used um, or what well, wasn't needed. So I think that, that it just kind of continued to, to highlight that deficiency there with the starting pitching uh, running out of steam and not being able to get deep into games, even though they are um, going with the six-man rotation now and kind of trying to be careful with guys. Um, they're still struggling to get deep into games, and I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on as we keep going here that um, – with extra days off in a six-man rotation, if they're still not able to get deep into games, it's going to become a huge problem. Yeah, and Pavetta had, since May 21st, he had a 3.07 ERA. He had really been pitching well. Um, and it's one of the first times, maybe the second time in the last two, two and a half months that Pavetta, I guess three-plus months, that Pavetta really got hit hard. And, you know, of course, it's it, we mentioned just how good of a offense it is, but it was a big spot there. He had a couple of walks, and he just really didn't look good at all in that game. Um, I think the one that kind of bothered me a little bit was um, the game on Sunday, where after they had hit a home run in the bottom of the, what was it, the bottom of the sixth, Tristan Cassis at 4-2, to two. you know, you only had to get through three more innings of that game, and I feel like it was such a big game you know where they really just have to take series at this point um and the bullpen was not that overused i mean jansen was available on sunday and he obviously hadn't pitched in a few days since the injury chris martin had only thrown four pitches on saturday um pavetta probably was down for a couple of days uh after throwing a lot on friday and same for Whitlock being down, throwing a lot on Saturday. But I 
think that they had to go back to, you know, the Winkowski, Martin, Jansen, 7th, 8th, and ninth at that point, with it being a 4-2 game. Leaving Chris Murphy out there, he gave up a run in each of those four innings, and the game was over quickly. So you've got that, and then that rolls into today. All right, you've got a fresh bullpen. Sure, Kyle Bearclaw is up. He's placing Murphy at this point because uh, he was sent down between the two games. Sale comes out. It's a big spot in the fifth and sixth. You've got the lead and Bearclaw's given up five or six runs in this game. And sure, we're not watching it, but I think I can understand the scenario and the situation of the game that, you know, if they didn't do this yesterday, well, now everybody was rested. They, you know, they didn't throw any of these guys. Everybody was ready to throw this game today. Um, and you just you have to have it. If you weren't going to go with your A bullpen yesterday, you have to have the game on Monday. And I just kind of find the way that Cora has managed the bullpen the last couple of days with a lack of urgency um, to be a little bit frustrating. Yeah, I mean, you laid that out perfectly. We're at the point in the season now where you're not managing the bullpen for just today. You're like the, These decisions are going to start rolling into the next game and the next game. And especially with just the way that the roster is constructed right now that choosing to use a guy or not is going to affect the next couple of games. And hopefully it works out. Obviously it bit him in the ass here over the past couple of days. And these were games that against really tough opponents where you really didn't want that to happen. And you just hope that that doesn't continue. But I mean, the biggest thing that we've talked about with the core is his ability to manage a bullpen. So I don't have a ton of confidence that that's going to get corrected. I feel like that's just going to, how it's going to be, how it's going to be here over the last month. And it's going to be very frustrating. Yeah. And th- there are games where they get back within a run and you can tell that it's like, you know, he really wants this game because it's a big game in the series. And I felt like Sunday had that. And then Monday, if, if you weren't going to do it, you had to there and, and he didn't. And now you're looking at a situation as we see the, score continue to get worse throughout this game um where you're five games in the loss column behind houston and you have to take those next two games um we'll talk about the schedule a little bit you know it, it, you can look at this and think that the season is likely kind of starting to be over as they get closer to a 10 percent chance at a playoff spot but i don't think they've given up and i look at the schedule and the only thing that gives you an ounce of hope is that the wildcard teams in front of you, the three that are in and the one team in front of you that isn't in, are Tampa, Texas, Houston, and Toronto. And you play all four of those teams in the next month, you know, starting today. So you need the next two games against Houston, right? They're in a lot of trouble if they lose two out of three. These become must-wins. Um, so they play three at home against Houston, and then they head to Kansas City, and then they have Tampa. Uh, Kansas City's looked pretty terrible lately, uh, losing a couple games to Oakland. They're behind against Pittsburgh tonight, and they seem to have kind of mailed it in. So you have to go on a run starting tomorrow, or we're probably going to be back after Labor Day talking about how, uh, let's see these September call-ups and what they're going to have to offer. I didn't even mention Baltimore. We had seven games against Baltimore. Yeah. Just last month is just a minefield of a schedule. And like you said, it's like silver lining that you have games against the teams that you're looking up against. But uh, on the other hand, um, they're very good baseball teams. 
Yes. So you said it earlier. They're all <laughs> better not, than you. Yeah. That's not going to be easy. It's like, no. yeah, you, you hold your fate in your own hands, but uh, that's not necessarily a good thing. No. <laughs> the, the, the only reason why I say it is because when you, you go on a good run like they did uh, against some of those lesser teams and you look around and everyone else is winning, at least you can control that when you play those teams. That's really the only point there. Um, but let's talk about some of the transactions that were made on Monday. Um, you know, we mentioned how Murphy had been up <clears throat> for a day and it was a result of Bernardino being placed on the COVID IL and then Barraclaw is up today and he's probably going to be back down tomorrow after this one. Pablo Reyes went on the 10-day IL and William Bray was placed on the paternity list. So we see a couple of call-ups here between David Hamilton, who we saw earlier this year, and for the first time, Sedan Rafaela, outfielder, um, plays a little bit of shortstop as well, recalled from the minors. And uh, this is exciting. I mean, this is a guy that we've talked about plenty this year, talked about plenty on our old, um, you know, minor league podcast that we did and... You know, Keaton, this is a guy who has spectacular defense. Highlight reel catches in the minor leagues that when these things get posted on Twitter, when you see his name attached to it, it's a must-watch. And the thing about Rafaela defensively, because I think that's what we should highlight first, is just he makes these catches, diving catches, catches in the gap, going back, going forward to the side, doesn't matter. He gets up ready to throw. You know, he's ready to throw home. He's ready to throw behind guys to get double plays. It's crazy how quickly he gets into position uh, and how he expects to then get up and, and make a good throw. Um, you know, that's kind of been my biggest takeaway to watch in some of the highlights of Rafaela. But, um, you know, this is somebody who kind of hit marginally at double A this year, but got the call up because he had been there for a full calendar year. You know, he was hitting 294, but he had six homers, 37 RBIs in 60 games well since he got to Worcester he's got 14 homers and 42 RBIs he's ramped it up he's hitting 312 uh, his WRC plus is 138 in the 48 games at Worcester so um, what do you think about the call-up of Rafael I like it and especially the last month 305 380 632 eight homers that's pretty great that's a lot of fun. And four steals on six attempts. That's pretty nice. Um, obviously, love the ability to play the infield and the outfield. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go. But, um, you know, the move was made in conjunction with Pablo Reyes, who's the infielder. But they also have uh, Duran and his weird toe that they can't figure out, uh, which is a little confusing. But so they are, I guess, also technically down an outfielder, so he could kind of bounce back and forth there. But I'm just, uh, he's just torn it up really like the last two years. And seeing him be able to continue that through the upper levels of the minor this year, minors this year is really awesome. So I'm just excited to see him take the field and to see what he can do. And I'm just really interested to see how they end up deploying him over this last month, um, what spots he ends up taking on the field and, and maybe that'll give us a glimpse into what his role might be uh, for next year. So uh, really yeah. just interested just to watch and take it in and, and see what he can do. But I think this is the kind of call up that teams that are in the Red Sox position need to make to add a spark. And he's the kind of guy that can provide it. 
So if there if there's some hope there, uh, if there's something that can provide them a jolt to get through this hellscape of a schedule, I think he's it. He, um, it's tough because it seems like it should have happened earlier in the month. It seems like they needed a spark, and it seems like the defense was so bad that it probably should have happened earlier in the month. The problem was they had such a logjam in the outfield and the way that Jaron Durant had been playing, although he kind of struggled as August went on and then got injured, as you mentioned. Um, but it's just, you know, with the way that Duvall is hitting and Verdugo has been better lately and, you know, yeah, Yoshida's slumping and actually kind of been sitting a little bit more. But did it make more sense to have him come up and just get sporadic playing time or to get a few more at-bats down there? You know, it's a tough question. Um, I think just with how bad the D... I mean, let's go into Patty O'Dee's question, which goes along with this pretty well. I think we can all agree that this team is awful defensively, he says. If the team was better on defense, would they currently have a wild-card spot? Currently four and a half games back, do you think the defense has cost us those games? I mean, what do you think, Keaton? Do you think that that would have made up four or five games between the countless hours we've talked about <clears throat> shortstop in the middle infield this year, but also, you know, if <laughs> Rafaela had played some of those innings in the outfield? Um, yeah. Yeah. I I think, um, yeah, I guess you did ask me like six questions, so which one am I saying yeah to? Um, <laughs> would would they still be four and a half games back? Would they be even no. if, if there was a different defense that was out there? Yes, that I firmly believe that the terrible defense just probably cost them like eight to ten games. Eight to ten. <laughs> it's, yes, I think it's been that. Well, maybe that is dramatic, but four and a, yeah. probably yeah. They're probably it feels a wild like card it. spot. Yeah, it's been that bad. Yeah, I mean, there might be eight to ten games where it was a complete shit show out there defensively. Um, yeah. If that cost them eight to ten games, I don't know, but yeah, it's got to be at least half of that. Yeah, I mean it's. It's kind of like the snowball effect, right? If you have three errors in the first and you all of a sudden you're down seven to nothing, you never had a chance. If you yeah. don't make those errors, you have a chance to win the game. So, I mean, it's, it's, but, but it's very possible to say that um, I don't think it's unfathomable to think that if they had, I mean, average defense up the middle, um, and maybe even toss in Devers makes a even, um, I mean, Casas too. He's been a lot better now, but, um, he had a rough transition the first half. Right. So yes. really all, all the infield defense as a whole, um, if had that been improved, would they be four and a half games back for wildcard? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think obviously, um, I don't think, Rafalia was there to provide any of that up to this point because obviously he was still working his way up in the minors. So I don't think he was an option. But, I mean, time and time again, we talked about how they just they, – it was shortstop in particular, shortstop and second base, they were failing miserably, and they didn't seem like they had a plan or their plan was just to wait it out and hope it got better, and it just never did. Yeah. We talk about – Oh, it's above average a lot. So let's look at defensive runs saved instead. Red Sox are 27th in the league with negative 25 defensive runs saved. Um, in center field, that's negative 8. In left field, that's negative 7. At 
at second base, it's negative 9. At third base, it's negative 9. Shortstop's negative 2, which is a little surprising. I'm sure that's come up recently. Um, the only positions that are positive are catcher and right field. So, 25 runs in the negative, right? It's probably four or five games at least. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what is it was becoming more apparent. I mean, we've been annoyed by the defense the whole year. Um, so if you've got that many positions where you're getting uh, negative production, you have to find a position where you might not get as much with the bat. Maybe you do with Rafael, who knows, but that you get more with the glove and... You know, it seems like it's the right time. And with it being the 28th of August, I think rosters expand from 26 to 28 on the 1st. So with uh, Abreu on the paternity for three days, I'm sure this will roll right into the expansion that he was going to come up anyways, and it just ends up being three days earlier, right? So you want to know why shortstop is only at negative two? Oh, let's hear it. What am I missing? Trevor's story is already a plus three. Right. That'll do it. Oh, God. I know. So if you just had zero, something that was close to zero up until that point, and then get Story back. Yeah, I know. I mean, he's made, he makes the tough play look so easy. Thank you. I needed that context. I can't believe that they've already closed that gap already. (laughs) That is incredible. I know. It took him 100 innings. That's it, 100 innings. Yeah. It's a good sign for next year. Yeah. <laughs> and I I mean, but that's the thing here, is that this is going to be a much better defensive team up the middle starting next year. And it makes what they did this year, ignoring that, uh, so frustrating. A um, couple other questions from Patty OD as we head to the mailbag portion of the show here. Would there be so much vitriol about Mookie if they had just let him walk instead of trading him what do you think of that question if they just let him go as a free agent because that still uh says that they didn't pay him and should have i don't think it would have been as bad i think the fact that they kind of proactively a year early said well this isn't going to happen and never made an effort, whether it was uh, a true effort or not, or Xander Bogarts. Well, that's true. I guess. Would I still well, be mad? Yes. No. But not on this I level. Think yes, but just in a different way, right? Because, like, yeah. everyone's mad at the front office that didn't pay him. He should be here, right? If they let him walk, everyone's mad at the front office, and they're like, how can you be that stupid? If you're going to let him walk, you could trade him 12 months ago, when, <laughs> right? And then they're yeah. mad at the front office for that, for getting nothing out of him. Right. Well, that's what the uh, Angels are running into with Otani right now. And that's the opposite end of the it, argument, right? I mean, you know, you, they tried, you, though. They made deals at the trade deadline. Right. They weren't expecting Otani's to blow his elbow and Trout to go on the IL and every oh. one of their trades to completely implode no it's been a train wreck yeah it did but that might be the argument for not making that you you know the effort that they did 
to see where that has gone since that point um, and then losing the prospects that you traded. No, I wouldn't make that argument, but in that case, there's, it was. I mean, and there, then... Yeah, there's a lot larger like um, organizational issues that have come out since then about like they don't believe in like fitness and nutrition and expect everybody to, to do all of that on their own and like they don't invest in like proper workout equipment and yeah. it's, a, it's a disaster over there it's in not Anaheim. Good. So there, yeah, there's a bit more to it than just um, they're not going to get anything from Otani. Yeah. His final question, and all you have to do is split up um, the partial seasons for Ryan Brazier between Boston and Los Angeles. He says, why can't we get pitchers like that great Dodger reliever, Ryan Brazier? I mean, you look at that, and that is a great reliever. I and mean, he's right. That is a great Dodgers reliever who has a 0.99 ERA in 27 and a third innings since going to Los Angeles. Came in and easily got out of things in the eighth inning on Sunday. Nine strikeouts per nine, 2.3 walks per nine. 185 BABIP given up compared to a 344 BABIP. So maybe there was some bad luck here, but there was also some bad pitching here that, again, we've talked about ad nauseum. But uh, that's that's another name while they were here to get one more kick in the junk before leaving. Yeah. I, I mean, it is very interesting. Um, obviously, we've seen... The Dodgers now, um, Houston had obviously their run with this as well, um, and Tampa, that they bring guys in and they strip. The, I mean, there's a ton of players. Somebody was actually just recently talking about, uh, I was just trying to dig it up real quick, but I couldn't find it, um, was actually like talking about this specifically with relation to... Um, the, the Dodgers too uh, now I just can't remember who it was um, but they, they bring guys in and basically say here's what you're good at and we just want you to do a lot of this and focus on that and that th- basically elevates their stuff which was the same um, who's the guy that wrote the book about the Houston Astros um, Frelick yes that was like the, the whole um, premise of his book um, about how the Astros were getting the most out of these guys, and the same thing that Tampa does, and um, obviously, you know, the Friedman connection there with the Dodgers, that's what they do as well, and they're really, really yeah. good at it, and it just seems like this is just another one of those cases where they're asking Brazier to do just that one thing that he's really good at, and he's having a lot of success, but it's, it's nuts how much that is, like, talked about as a way to develop players. Everybody in the league is aware of it, but so many teams are so bad at it. Like just yeah. being able to identify what those guys are good at and, and basically elevate that piece of their game is so incredibly hard. The combination um, the of... the Red Sox are hoping they're getting from right. Bloom, right? Is that they, they pulled him out of Tampa to be able to identify those guys uh, and get the most out of those guys. And obviously with Brazier, that was a failure. And now he's thriving with the Dodgers. It's kind of like a kick in the pants. Right. I mean, the, the, the Dodgers' ability to not only develop players, 
but also sign the right players to have such a deep farm system that they can use for trades. And then what you said, bringing in cast-offs like Ryan Brazier and getting the most out of them as well. And, you know, Joe Kelly is there thriving again, although he was injured this week. Um, look what happened to Lance Lynn. I don't know if it's a motivation thing or, or what, but he's been much better since he's gone there. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, they, they there's solid culture there and just a lot that they uh that they're doing right and as you said, will they get there uh in Boston, who knows. But it doesn't seem close just yet. Um our other question TJ McPhee had a couple today. The other one was about this past year being a lost year for uh, Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock, he was talking about 2022, and he said that 2023 is shaping up similarly. Do we still not know who these two pitchers really are yet? And it's a good point because I think this offseason, when we are previewing the roster and, you know, what are the needs, we're going to be asking the same questions. Is Tanner Houck a starter or a reliever? Is Garrett Whitlock a starter or a reliever? And what can you count on and how many innings can you count on out of them from these players? Um, I think it's a great point that we, we still don't exactly know what the best role is for either of them. Yeah, no, we don't. All right, last one, Lurchimus, uh, which ended up being a very uh, appropriate question because he sent this this morning and said who's going to play the outfield next year and is Rafaela uh, looked at as a platoon center fielder or a defensive replacement to pair with Jaron Duran cheers to 2024 fellas so I think Lurchimus has given up on the 2023 season and then a couple hours later we got the news that Rafaela had been called up so that was also a great question people brought the heat with the questions through gmail and uh and twitter as well um, but what do you think? Let's start with you, Keaton. Do you um, what do you think is playing the outfield? Who I mean, there's still going to be a logjam, even with Adam Duvall if he leaves in free agency. Yeah, ish. Um, I mean, we still have an opening at second, right? For Raffaele, you think? For anyone. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, that's that's one option, is <laughs> yeah. that they move him to play the infield. Or we have even more of an opening, obviously, now with Kike gone. Yeah. I think the fact that Raffaele plays an 80-grade defense in center field, you know, I, I want him there. I want the next Jackie Bradley, and I think that that's not a stretch that he can be that. Um, if I had to guess, I think it's probably Yoshida and Rafaela and Duran, um, and some sort of Adam Duvall type that could be brought in as a platoon. You've got Ref Snyder to hit, uh, right-handed to platoon with some of those, you know, Yoshida and Duran types. Uh, we know he signed for another year. And I think that Verdugo potentially ends up being moved after the season with one year left. So that's now, what I, know I was it's... just going to say, too, was yeah. Verdugo having the best year of his career, and it also doesn't seem like they have actually attempted to approach him about 
an extension, it seems like that's his fate here yeah. with the Sox, that he'll get moved here in the offseason, and that'll end up freeing up that spot along with Duvall taking off. And then you've got two center fielders to handle your two center fields over there and right and center. Exactly. I mean, the right field being just as difficult, if not more. Um, it's interesting you say that about Verdugo, because we were talking on one of the shows while you were away about how he's just going to have the same season that he's always had. But then he's ramped things back up over the last three weeks, and that probably was worth talking about in the Dodgers series, him having those couple of leadoff home runs. He's had a few of them in recent weeks. Um, definitely wanted to kind of ramp things up a little bit with all the talk of Mookie coming back. Well, he was playing against his old team for the first time as well. It was at Fenway. Um, and he came out with a big hit in each of those games. He had a great catch tonight. I think that since he um, got benched and all of that happened a couple, what's that, probably three weeks ago now, that Verdugo has played a lot better. It just seems like that's going to happen a couple times a year, and it would, you know, whether he's here this year or not, I think it uh, behooves everybody that he has a good August and a good September and has that trade value up if he doesn't end up getting moved, you know, and if not, then hopefully in his age 28 year, they can get one more good year out of him in the outfield. But I th think that that might be the most likely path to kind of have a, a spot for Rafaela because I think that he's going to, with what he'll bring defensively and what they're going to probably try to overcompensate for after the defense this year. Um, I think they have to have him out there next year. So, all right. Anything else to add this week? Did I forget anything? Nope. I think that's it. All right. Um, you can follow Keaton at the spoken Keats on Twitter. You can follow me at Bob Osgood 15. Uh, you can tweet us. You can send in Gmail questions at redseatpodcast at gmail.com. We got several this week that were great, so please keep those coming. Uh, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for joining.